0: Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer sourced and solution focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Jay Asser, Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, I'm joined by Brianna Motley, Principal at SG2, to talk about the current capacity crunch health systems are facing right now and how systems should weigh solutions to alleviate these challenges. Brianna, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Jay.
0: Great, we can get into it. I just want to start by asking how you would describe the current state of healthcare capacity right now, and how it has evolved in 2023.
1: Sure, I think uh, like many things in healthcare, capacity is is local, and and certainly depends on on where you are in the country and and what kind of um, hospital or health system you are, but. I think one of the things we've seen over the course of of this year is a continuation of the trend that we saw last year where many hospitals and health systems are still experiencing capacity, pressure and strain. Uh, This is more acutely felt at our tertiary and quaternary or higher acuity uh, hospital facilities and there are several different reasons for that. one that I would point to you on, on the demand side that many of the listeners right now are, are probably acutely aware of is, is just the seasonal uptick in um, respiratory virus, viruses like RSV and, and flu and COVID. Um, certainly that that's creating uh, additional demand from a seasonal standpoint. Um, and I think we've spent you know, a lot of time this year also talking about um, the different impacts to, to supply that have existed. So uh, financial strain that that makes it more expensive to staff beds. Um, certainly some of the, the staffing and, and workforce challenges that exist. Um, although I think a lot of provider organizations that, that we've talked to recently have indicated that some of that has actually started to stabilize, which, which is encouraging. Um, and then there's of course, you know, average age of plant um with our, our hospitals being older um, uh, in this country, new capital being required to, to build new facilities. Um, that, that is expensive right now. Um, one of the other factors though that I would point to that, that has emerged more recently um, that we're starting to see the impacts of uh, across a lot of markets is hospital closures as well. I think we actually talk about this one um, less, but it certainly has significant impacts um, uh, and there are a lot of rural hospitals right now that, that are at risk of closure. And certainly with the way uh, the financial uh, situation for hospitals this year has evolved, um, it's caused more and more hospitals to try have to have those difficult conversations um, about closure. And that, that certainly obviously reduces supply. It impacts um, the influx or, or wave of demand. Uh, Especially um, as we're looking at emergency departments across the country as well that that have um, continued to be overcrowded uh, as they're boarding patients waiting for inpatient beds.
0: And Will this challenging environment ease in the future? Do you think we can expect shifts in demand that might help relieve some of this pressure?
1: So I think, Jay, the, the short answer to that is no, <laughs> which isn't encouraging, um, but but that's from an organic sense. So organically, um, we don't think this is going to ease. Um, as you know, um, SG2 spends a lot of time uh, every year building an annual uh, demand forecast, which projects utilization year over year for the next 10 years. And And one of the things that we saw with our 2023 forecast Uh, was a continual increase in average length of stay. Uh, I think it's 6% increase in uh, patient, uh, in average length of stay, Uh, 8% increase in patient days. Um, And then emergent, which are the higher acuity emergency department visits uh, are also projected to rise at at 4%. Those visits have a a higher associated um, admission rate. So I think from an organic sense, you know, the, the short story is there will continue to be demand there. Um, So as we think about kind of starting to or what the potential is to relieve some of that pressure, it's really going to require uh, intentional strategic as well as operational decisions uh, on the part of the health system to, to better manage capacity in an active sense. Um, one of the stories that that I find interesting in in this arena, uh, it's always important to compare the local data. And I had the um, fortune of, of being able to um look at actually two different contrasting markets as I was working with um, provider organizations on um on a panel discussion. and we we pulled their data data for for their markets. and, um, there kind of was a, a different story. So in one, there was robust um, inpatient discharge growth, actually, which isn't something that we see across the country. Um, also growth projected in terms of emergent uh, ED volumes, but, uh, but lower growth that will be anticipated in average length of stay. And in the other market, um, they actually had negative uh, inpatient discharge growth forecasted negative emergent ED volume growth, but a more accelerated average length of stay growth projection. Um, so I think the, the story here is, you know, no, we don't expect this to ease, but also it's really critically important to assess the mix in your market, uh, the demand in your market, as well as um, in your hospital and model this scenario, plan this at the local level, um, because that's the only way you're really going to, to be able to assess whether this is going to change for you uh, and how to anticipate the strategic decisions that you'll need to make as well um, to actively manage this.
0: So if this is the reality health systems are operating in right now, what approaches are they taking to better manage capacity?
1: Yes. So we had a lot of discussion um, in this area with, with several systems this year. Um, and I think I would bi- boil it down to probably four key strategies. So the first is is operational uh, in nature, thinking about capacity management systems, including command centers that, that can better um, manage uh, your capacity uh, in an active sense. These have been proven to, to reduce length of stay, um, to um, kind of increase turnover uh, of beds, make sure that we're accelerating discharge where we can. And I think, you know, this this strategy, though it's operational in nature, um, is critically important. Uh, and we saw a lot of systems this year get back to, Um, focusing on length of stay reduction efforts, and and we know that that has proven success in terms of um, opening up capacity. Uh, I think from a a more strategic sense, uh, there are probably three big picture um, strategic levers that we see systems pulling on today um, to help support capacity management. Uh, The first is service distribution or service optimization. Um, This is really the notion uh, for a multi-hospital system, um, so a system that has more than one acute facility Um, in its footprint that that are approximately located, um, being a little bit more strategic around what cases, what uh, types of discharges are are located where, um, making sure that they're cohorting different programs um, uh, to make best use of of bed availability, uh, and make sure essentially that that, um, patients are in the right hospital location. Uh, this comes with it um, some some difficult decisions at times around closing programs, uh, rationalizing care um, to certain acute facilities. Um, uh, but that's a, a complex strategy that we actually see a lot of systems really starting to take action on um, because it does have proven capacity savings. I would say a, a, a third strategy, um, a little bit more in, on the innovation uh, side of things, is is thinking about care at home models and. Um, for us at SUQ Visient, we define care at home as as being both hospital at home, uh, but also other programs that serve to move volume into the home. Uh, so, skilled nursing in the home, infusion in the home. Um, uh, there's really a, a whole range of programs or opportunities that, that you can take advantage of to provide levels of care uh, in the home. Now, um, this is not easy uh, to undertake, and in a lot of uh, cases, it's resulted in um, some really creative strategic partnerships to be able to effectively put into place and, and put into place at scale. Um, but the lever here that we're pulling on is is either um, moving care from the acute setting into the home-based setting, or in, in some instances, um, preventing uh, downstream avoidable admissions or readmissions, so better managing, uh, more proactively managing um, that care in, uh, outside of the four hospital walls. Um, And then the fourth strategy I would point to is, uh, I'm kind of using a a bucket term of ambulatory network optimization. Uh, And I think there are really three things underneath this that serve to affect capacity. Um, So lots of talk this year on access. Um, preventative and follow-up care, again, to um, get patients seen more quickly uh, and hopefully pre- uh, prevent escalation of disease, uh, reduce downstream readmissions if we're talking about access um, post-hospitalization, um, but truly a, a focus on optimizing the ambulatory network to increase access. Um, part of that as well is is um, digital and we saw um, kind of an acceleration of, of virtual visits as an example um, and of uh, uptick in, in adoption of remote monitoring amidst the pandemic that has certainly um, leveled off a bit, but we're still far and above where we were prior to March of 2020. And um, figuring out how you can use digital again to kind of optimize your ambulatory network access uh, certainly serves to prevent um, downstream utilization that, that does have an impact on capacity. Um, And then finally, although to a smaller degree, um, one of the things that that we've looked at as well uh, is thinking about um, procedural site shifts uh, and thinking about what um, surgical procedures you can move to um, ambulatory surgery centers and physician offices, other settings to try and um, also open up a little bit of that capacity. Obviously, it impacts um, more directly operating room capacity, um, but, but it's still Uh, does have a a small impact there. I think last thing that I would bucket under under ambulatory network optimization, I think I said three, but there is one more, um, is post-acute and and post-acute has been um, another big topic of conversation this year uh, as access to, um, whether it be skilled nursing facilities um, or home health services has become more limited uh, amidst the workforce challenges. Um, So, many systems are are, um, kind of trying to take creative approaches, uh, partnering in different ways with skilled nursing facilities, um, and thinking about, um, you know, what support patients really need, how they can expand um, their their network uh, from a post-acute standpoint to be able to facilitate easier discharge. Uh, Because from a post-acute standpoint, if you can't transition the patient out of the inpatient setting um, to post-acute... Uh, care, then, you know, that also has a significant impact, significant strain on capacity.
0: And what data does Vizient have to both help assess the opportunity of care redesign solutions and improve efficiency moving forward?
1: This is where Vizient, I think, um, really shines because we we do have so much data at our fingertips and, and we believe that data is the foundation for um, to your point, to the point of the question, both identifying the opportunities um, and figuring out, you know, where should you uh, take action, what should you prioritize, um, but then also being able to to measure the outcomes on the back end, which is so important um, from the standpoint of being able to kind of course correct, which you know, strategy and and execution has to be nimble now. We have to be able to measure uh, what we're doing and and, um, tweak where we need to uh, from the standpoint of being agile. Um, But a couple of things from a data resource standpoint that I would point to. um, I referenced, I think at the outset, um, the SG2 forecast. which is helpful as you plan uh, essentially looking forward. So, understanding and, and projecting um, where demand is going to occur across which service lines uh, and how is that going to change. Um, this is an important foundational starting point because um, you know, understanding how you're going to experience capacity pressure in the future uh, is an important component of planning for effectively um, uh, kind of putting strategies in place. Um, to alleviate that, so knowing where demand go- is going is is kind of the first step. Um, it helps you plan for ambulatory um, network optimization. It certainly helps you plan as you're starting to think about, you know, which cases do I need to move where. Um, so certainly the forecast. Um, the other the other significant data source that I would point to um, is some of our, our clinical database uh, data, which allows us to. Benchmark utilization um, and identify again from an operational standpoint um, those opportunities for improvement. Uh, So looking at um, length of stay outliers um, in terms of of what we would have expected to see versus what we did see. And then also identifying, you know, again on a service line by service line basis. What are some of the um, outcomes as it relates to the relationship between volume and quality? Uh, This can be very effective in making those decisions about service distribution. As an example, um, where do you need to aggregate clinical uh, programs because you're seeing – the impact on quality uh, when programs get below um, a certain threshold. And I think that that data is so critical and so instrumental in being able to overcome some of the um, more challenging discussions uh, related to change management and decision making that occur. When you can ground that uh, in data, it makes it a little bit easier, uh, although those conversations are, are never easy.
0: And when we look at what strategic approaches health systems should consider, uh, what factors influence how these systems should approach care redesign?
1: That's a really great question. I think you know the the first thing to consider is <laughs> there is so much to to solve for in in this environment, and things are uh, things are very connected. Um, some of these problems are, are multifaceted. So I think. You know, number one, uh, the number one factor is is really deeply understanding what you're trying to solve for. Um, wh- what are what is your ultimate outcome? What is your ultimate objective? Um, that should essentially drive um, the strategies, or at least the list of strategies that you consider, because these can look different uh, again, depending on um, what specifically is causing your capacity challenges. Um, I think the second that, that's really important um, is what's your starting point um, from an infrastructure standpoint, from a system footprint standpoint? Um, what assets do you have available to support management and optimization? Um, for some systems, service distribution isn't an option because you're a single hospital and you know for you, ambulatory network optimization uh, is is probably going to have, Um, a bigger impact um, because you have nowhere to distribute those those acute cases to. Um, So knowing what your starting point is um, and what you have available to you, but then also um, being very proactive about identifying the gaps and, I think it's important to consider that the gaps are not just in terms of infrastructure; they're also in terms of um, human capital and resources, and um, you know, physician behavior. Um, what do you need to to kind of overcome in order to to be able to move things forward um, to execute? Uh, gap analysis also really leads into kind of partnership discussions. Um, so just because you you have a gap doesn't mean that, that things are off the table. Um, one of the things that's been really encouraging this year is we've seen more and more systems recognizing that they can't do it all, they don't have the resources to do it all, whether that be financial or human capital oriented. Um, and so partnership um, has become a, a big factor in success of pulling on, on some of these, these levers.
0: What barriers have you seen that systems have had to overcome as they undertake care redesign efforts to better manage capacity?
1: I think, you know, as I reflect on a lot of the conversations that we've had this year, I actually think the number one barrier is prioritization. So to the point that I was just making in terms of resources, whether they be capital or or human capital oriented, um, the ability to say, this is, this is the one thing we're going to use our precious limited resources on um, versus these are the things that we are going to select not to do either because they don't meet our strategic objectives because we don't have the resources to pull them off. um, Whatever it may be, that active decision of, of kind of saying this is what we're going to do and this is what we're not going to do, I think as an industry, we're still working on that. We're still not, you know, while we've said okay, we know we can't be everything. We're still not good at saying no. We can't do that. Um, so I think prioritization is number one. Um, we have to to get better at that. And then I think the the second one um, from a barrier standpoint, I I would point to is still change management. These strategies are not easy uh, to implement. They're they're very complex. Um, they're very difficult. They can't be put in place overnight. They require um, aligned incentives, but more importantly, buy-in um, and the ability to move them forward does require um, significant change management capabilities. That I think um, organizations are, are still building and and still working on um, to to become successful. And there are some some out there that are good at this and and who have um, been able to overcome both prioritization and change management. But but I think those are um, the two major barriers that, that I see uh, as I reflect on conversations we've had with providers this year.
0: Are there bright spots out there? What examples of systems have you seen that have had success in improving efficiency or redesigning care?
1: Absolutely. And I think this is, um, this is really exciting. You know, it's one thing to have, I think, conversations individually with, with providers and, and see um, the wins that they're making on an individual basis, but um, it's another thing to to see it kind of large scale in the news and I think i would I would point out two um, number one on uh, from a care at home standpoint, um, hospital at home and and just early inklings that there are organizations who are able to do this um, or have plans to do this at scale have been able to achieve some scale. Uh, and how they've approached the programs over the last um, three or so, three plus years. Um, I'd point to um, Atrium Health on, uh on hospital at home, uh now kind of more recently broader advocate help. Um but legacy atrium has has been able to achieve, I think I saw um in the news, about 40 a census of about 45 to 50 patients a day on hospital at home. And um what was encouraging to to me and and to my team as we were talking about this was um, their chief administrator of the program specifically cited, you know, we are doing this because it does impact capacity. Um, there are other reasons, obviously, but a lot of a lot of um, the kind of rationale or driver behind systems pursuing hospital at home is capacity oriented, capacity related. And um, they've specifically called out that they've been able to significantly impact capacity by having this program in place. Um Many in our audience probably saw that that they've also partnered with Best Buy. Um, so, in thinking about partnership and and the role that partnership plays in terms of um, enabling scale, you know, that's a, a significant factor for them as well. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, where that continues to go uh, and and how that evolves. But um, that's one that I would point to certainly from um, from a Care at Home standpoint. Um, and then I think, you know, from an operational improvement standpoint, um, one of the conversations we've had with many uh, providers this year and, and have many on our team have been had uh, have had the opportunity to um, actually tour uh, some of the capacity command centers that that systems have set up. And I know um, recently uh, in the news, Tampa General has Cited some of their um, outcomes uh, and, and achievements and, and results from their capacity command center and putting that in place. Uh, significant savings in terms of um, excess days and in terms of length of stay. Um, and, you know, I think at the end of the day, that is, that is really exciting. It is a huge bright spot um, because ultimately, Uh, it comes down to meaning better care for the patients. Um, You know, I think we've all also seen the stories around um, ED boarding uh, and patients kind of waiting for admission. When we can make significant improvement from an operational standpoint on length of stay, you know, that's immediate. uh, And and that means better access to inpatient care for patients.
0: Definitely. It'll be interesting to see as we head into 2024 how these capacity challenges evolve and how health systems continue to tackle. And I want to thank you again, Brianna, for joining me. This has been a great discussion.
1: Thanks so much, Jay. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back Tuesdays with more healthcare industry insights.